the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's, it's, I said it's Wednesday. I was telling my producer, boy, I'm having a hard time not believing this is Wednesday. It feels like Wednesday, but it's the Tuesday edition of the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do here is to take your phone calls and into your Bible questions or life questions, questions about what we believe as Christians and why I'll do the best I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can uh, send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just one button. Call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Hey, really quickly, a program note. On Friday, we confirmed that uh, I'm going to have a guest, Pastor Ellis Goins, uh, the pastor that we've just sent out to plant a new church, a new Calvary Chapel here on the far northwest side in the Alamo Ranch area. I'm going to have him share his story with you, his heart with you a little bit. And especially if you're in the northwest side, if you have any questions, uh, that would be a really great time. So he'll be here live on the program with me on Friday. Ladies, I hope you got to watch uh, Lauren Blanton last night. Uh, I just finished watching it before the program. Uh, She did a great job. Um, Just love her heart. Uh, that's yesterday's Sweet Summer Devotion. Um, you can go to Calvary SA and get that. Well, we don't have anything else to do today, so let me get right to some questions that were sent in. Um, here is my first question from our email inbox from Nacho. He says, what is the significance of God telling Noah to take seven of every kind of clean animal over two of Every unclean animal in Genesis chapter 7 was it for sacrifice while on the ark. Uh, not sure that's exactly what it was. It was offerings to the Lord. Uh, so when he took seven um, of each of the animals, they were offered clean animals. They were offered as sacrifices in the course of worship. Sin offerings, fellowship offerings, those were the, the uh, that was the significance. By the way, Nacho, you know this, but uh, I'm going to be starting this Friday in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, I really have a great sense of anticipation, as though the Lord is saying this is a chapter that he's going to use to really speak into people's lives, to, to take those steps of faith. We know without faith it's impossible to please God. And uh, I think God's going to do great work. So uh, all of that because we're going to be getting to know a very early in the passage, not this week, but I'll get to Noah uh, the next week. 
So, Nacho, thanks for the question. You had the answer already. Uh, here is, uh, let me do two questions that are sort of related that were sent in to me today. Um, where are they? Here they are. First one is anonymous. Is does your church give all of its money to the poor? If not, you're a hypocrite. Um, anonymous, no, our church doesn't give all of our money to the poor. Um, I guess we could say we, we do only because we're all poor. And um, so we, we take care of ourselves for sure. But the idea here is is that's not something that's demanded biblically. We have a call to use God's money, to be good stewards of his money, his way. We're never told to give all of our money to the poor. And if that's your idea of what a church is all about or what it's supposed to do, it's clear that you don't know anything about the Lord. Uh, and I would encourage you to, to open your Bible and, and read it. Read the Gospel of John and let the Lord speak to your heart. Um, we want you in the family, anonymous. And this is the kind of question, you know, all churches are hypocrites, all they want is your money. Let me tell you what we do with our money, anonymous. And this is just one church. Uh, don't speak for anybody else. Um, as many of the radio listeners know, we have a free school, grades K through 12. This is our 20th year of that school. Um, we provide a great quality high-quality education uh, for kids that um, otherwise couldn't afford a private school. Uh, we do it for free. Uniforms are free. Books are free. Uh, everything is free. Um, the only thing they pay for is Pizza Friday. If they want pizza, their moms and dads give them a dollar so they can have a piece of pizza. But the idea is that uh, we want people to first learn about Jesus. Second, we want them to be able to communicate, to read and to write and to, to speak the English language well. I want to be able to add, we want them to have outlets for those who have that science gene, you know, the, the, the people that that uh, are going to end up our bosses someday. So um, that that's one of the things our church does with its money. The, another thing that we do with our money is we have a free family practice doctor's office. And when I say it's a free family practice doctor's office, uh, nobody pays any money. We don't take any insurance. We have a full staff, two doc, three doctors actually, including Dr. Jennifer, who's a pediatrician. Uh, we have a physician's assistant. We have a nutritionist. Um, uh, and all of that's free. A full staff of nurses. And it is a, a ministry like the school, 100% supported by the body here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We have seen anonymous more than 26,000 patients in the Six years we've been open. Uh, people get saved there virtually every day. Um, and the work that God is doing as a result has been amazing. We've been able to share all of that. That costs us a lot of money to do it. We also have a home where we put up people who, women, who, uh, it's called Man House. We put up women who are going through tough times in their life. Could be they're married to an abusive uh husband and they need to get away just to ensure their safety. It might be that they've been in trouble and, and now they're they're trying to get right with God and trying to get back in the swing of things. We've got uh, mothers with babies who who can't support them or who, who aren't very good yet at being mothers. Uh, we've got a place where they can go. Uh, absolutely free. We even buy the groceries for Manna House. Again, 100% supported by the church ministry. Um, we never ask for money. We never tell people what our needs are. Um, we believe this is what God wants us to do. In addition to that, the radio program that you're listening to, uh, we, we it costs a lot of money. Radio programs, the teaching programs that we have that are on literally all over the world, um, they cost a lot of money. So money goes to those things as well. And uh, we have a rent factor to pay. We've got uh, a staff of employees uh, in a school and the doctor's office and at Manor House that, that have to be supported. So this is a ministry uh, that uh, is is very generous. We give out rather than take in 
uh, and the Lord has been very gracious to us. So, uh, all of that to say, that's the real Jesus Anonymous. And whatever your impressions are about church, um, they're wrong. There are a lot of people out here doing really, really good work as directed by the Lord. When I said this next question is related, um, only viscerally, it's about our church. I don't take too many questions about us specifically, but this is from Daniel. And he says, I visited your church and was surprised that you were in a strip mall. Why isn't God blessing your church? Uh, Daniel, you have no idea how blessed we are. You have no idea. Um, I'm afraid that in our Western church culture, we've come to um, believe that that big is good, huge building. Um, None of that is got a biblical foundation. Um, Our church is large. We have a lot of people that come to our church. We just don't have a lot of space. Our people are crammed in to the tackiest church in Texas, believe me, if not the entire world. And yet when you walk in here, Daniel, as I'm sure you experienced, you were greeted, you were loved, you people spoke to you because they were really interested in in who you were and what was going on in your life. I'm sure that you were you had opportunities to be prayed for. Um the fact that we're in a strip mall means nothing. In the early church, the first century church, they met in homes. And God was blessing their church with an outpouring of the Spirit. People are getting saved at our church. Um, we're, we're packed all the time. Uh, it's just uh, it's one of the things the Lord spoke to my heart a long time ago was that, that we weren't to take a mortgage. We pay rent, and rent can get expensive. We pay utilities and those kind of things. That stuff gets expensive. Uh, but he said never take a mortgage. He wants his money. Now, this is just specific instruction for me, for our church. He wants his money to go to ministry rather than to a mortgage. So that's why you've been in this building for 22 years. And, um, you know, I found myself striving against God at times in the past. I've got to get a building. i got to get a building. Um, when the reality is God's done a really great work here. It has nothing to do with our building. Today we had over 200 kids here at our Calvary Kids Bible School. Hey, by the way, anybody who's listening, if you've got children, uh, what a great time. You know, all of the excitement of summer has started to wear off in your kids. Now there's something that, that you can bring them, and these kids are having a blast. They're making a lot of noise. I'm trying to study, and I can attest to that. Um, but um, just the joy in this place. Um, we go through Friday uh, from 9 o'clock until noon. So if you've got kids, they're more than welcome. Daniel, all of that to say, um, we're thrilled at how the Lord is blessing Calvary Chapel of San Antonio and the people that come. Thanks for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Janet. She says, uh, Pastor Ron, why is having sex while unmarried wrong? Well, Janet is wrong because God says it is. He gets to make the rules. Um, too often, you know, we're we're convinced by the world that we live in that that's old-fashioned, this whole concept of purity and, and saving yourself for a husband or saving yourself for your wife uh, is, is, is outdated. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is God is the ancient of days. And that means he's old, and so it's okay if he's old-fashioned. God is the one who gave us sex as a gift, and we're to use our bodies in a way that honor him. That's why having sex while unmarried is wrong. And it doesn't matter if the whole world changes their mind. It doesn't matter if people laugh at you or mock you because of that old-fashioned idea. And then all we have to tell people is we do it because Jesus said to do it. We control our body. Paul says not in passionate lust like the heathen. Well, sometimes it doesn't feel like the heathen are winning the argument. And all too often I get questions on this program and from people who come to church, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with us living together. We're committed to one another. We're faithful to one another. But my answer is that you're being unfaithful to God. 
And he's the one that's important. He's the one who wants to bless you. And if you take yourself out of a place where you're being blessing, you're, you're simply saying, well, I'm going to do things my way. And that, Janet, is rebellion against God. So that's why having sex when you're unmarried is wrong. Uh, God gave us uh, a husband or a wife. Um, sex is sort of uh, like dessert. Um, a marriage is great. You have a friend. You have a partner. You become one flesh. Uh, the sex part of it is just the, the, the fun part, the passionate part. So that's why. Here is a question from Albert. He says, why do Bible teachers disagree on some doctrines if they all claim to have divine inspiration? Well, Albert, the, the answer to that one is really simple. It's that we have a perfect scripture, but we're filtering it through imperfect minds. It's simple. I, I, you know, I read the Bible that says something very clear to me. Somebody else reads the same passage and say, well, it doesn't seem very clear to me. In fact, I think this. Um, and that's why there are different denominations. That's why um, there are so many Bible teaching ministries. That's why you can go to YouTube and find people with crazy ideas about what the Bible says. Um, but it doesn't take away what the clear meaning of the scriptures really are. Really important. I think the way to approach the Bible, Albert, is not to interpret what it says without first reading what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. That's pretty clear. Don't let any of the wholesome talk come from out of your mouth. That's pretty clear. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Those things are pretty clear. But what we'll do is we'll take those things and interpret them. And when you're reading your Bible, Albert, the thing to do is to, to, to be on a mission to find out what the author intended to say. doesn't matter how you interpret it or how Pastor Ron interprets it. What matters is what did Paul, if he's the author, or Peter, or James or John, or or any of the other writers, what did they intend to say? Then look at the context. Is it historical? Is it poetic? Uh, is it uh, a first-person account, as is so often the case, especially in the book of Acts? What was the context? Who's the audience? And when you understand the context, you understand the, 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 the style of communication. Jesus is a great example when he's teaching his his book, a lot of it confuses us because he's not really speaking to us in a language that we understand. He's speaking to Jews. His ministry was entirely Jewish. You need to understand that before you can interpret it. That's why Paul says that we're to study to show ourselves approved, work men, work women, rightly dividing the word of God. And to do that, it all begins with what does it say and what does it mean? And then finally, how can I use it? And that's why we disagree. Again, there's there's a, a perfect book that we've got being interpreted through very imperfect mind. Jack says, how can a Christian vote in upcoming elections when there is so much corruption in all the candidates? I dread the election coming. Uh, Jack, I dread the election, too. Not not so much for the election night or for the result. I just dread tonight, I guess. Tonight there's a, a debate. The Democratic uh, Democrat candidates for president are going to debate tonight on CNN. And, you know, I actually try to watch it a little bit, and I can't take more than a minute or two of it. The same soundbite campaigning. It's the same... Uh, generalized statements. It's the same uh, tired old phrases and arguments, and, and I dread it with you. Now, how can a Christian vote? Um, I think you vote your conscience. You vote Jesus' heart. You vote for the candidate that best represents our values as Christians. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the candidate we vote for is the most Christ-like. 
uh, I don't know a single candidate running for president that I could say, oh, that person is a Christian. I don't know a single one. And so I think I think we vote for ideals. We vote for the heart of God. What would he want us to do? Uh, obviously, I think we've got to look at some issues. We've got to look at the immigration issue. What, what's the heart of Jesus? He loves those people. He wants them to come to know him. And yet we get so polarized, we're as bad as the candidates. We let them kind of herd us around. We have to be, as real Christians, we have to be pro-life. And by that, I'm going to be very clear. We have to be against abortion, the murder of an innocent child's life. I mean, even our Constitution guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our nation has taken away the very first element, life. We're not giving these kids a chance to live. We're not giving them a chance to have a voice. Worse, we're not giving them the opportunity to grow up and fulfill the destiny that they would have if they were allowed to live. I mean, how many preachers have been murdered in the womb? How many scientists and doctors? How many artists or athletes? Well, we'll never know. We'll never know because those lives were snuffed out. So there's a, there's a value, anti-abortion, pro-life, that we can vote. I think we have to be concerned, Jack, about the morality. Now, we can't legislate morality. I understand that. I don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. But you see, when a government says it's okay for two men to get married or two women to get married, when the government says it's okay for somebody to decide that I'm no longer a girl, I want to be a man, or I'm no longer a man, I want to be a girl. Um, well, whatever the government says is okay increases exponentially. We've seen that in just a few years since 2015 when gay marriage was made law. I think those are issues that we have to be concerned about. We don't look at our candidate like a messiah. We don't look at our candidate and see that this person is a Christ-like figure. What we do is we vote for the man or the woman who best typifies the moral and the heart of Jesus Christ. And I'm with you in that regard, Jack. I, too, dread the upcoming election. I dread tonight's debate. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. The phones have been quiet today. Uh, here is a question from Adam. He says, um, Pastor Ron, why do some churches say their mission is to win converts and others say theirs is to make disciples? What's the difference? Uh, Adam, the difference is significant. You know, we, we all want to win converts. Uh, that's part of the Great Commission, go out and tell people about our Jesus. But we also have to make disciples of them. Now, the word disciple means a student. That's a man or woman who's a follower of Jesus, a learner about Jesus, not just about Jesus, but about his will for our lives. And so what we need to do is focus on sharing the gospel. That's evangelism. People need to get saved. In our church, Adam, um, there's never a time when the Bible's taught where there isn't an invitation given to receive Christ. Never, never a time. Um, we want to win converts. We want people to go to heaven. But when we win converts, when people give their heart to Jesus, then the mission changes and the focus is to make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, commanding them to be obedient to what Jesus said to do. So the way we make disciples, we teach the word, we emphasize um, walking with Jesus. We emphasize being obedient because of love, not not to get saved, but because you are saved. And so the the the, the difference is 
one wins people, then the other helps them grow up. Imagine having a baby, and uh, it's it's not usually give them a bath. You you take them out and you feed them. You you spray the milk on your arm to make sure it's not too hot for them. You have to take care of babies. But if that baby was still behaving the same way, or we were still taking care of them the same way when they were five years old or ten years old, and we would be failures as parents. So this is just one of those things where uh, we want to give people a foundation that they can grow on. Paul says that we're to grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of his will for our lives. So I think that's the, the mission of the church. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, that our job is to equip the saints, that's believers, for the work of ministry. And if we equip the saints for the work of ministry, then, Adam, they grow. And when they grow, God gives them gifts, and great things happen. So that's the difference, and both missions are important, but all churches are commanded to pursue both missions. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your calls. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You broke the ice here on the radio. Hi, Pastor Ron. I I was going to call this question in last week, but you and Mama Paula were in California, so this has been brewing around in my brain for about a week now. Now, Mark 8, chapter 8 says, During those days another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry... They will collapse on the way because some have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Now, I've got a question. This is, what I, this is what my question is, and then I had an observation. Now, my question is, how far do you suppose the people uh, actually came and how long it would take them to get there? And where do you think that remote place was? And then my observation was, I was thinking about how hard it would be to be able to get somewhere if if they had to go like a week or, you know, a while. They, they had to carry jugs of water with them. Then they had to carry something to sleep on because they'd obviously be sleeping outside if they didn't have a town where they could spend the night. I know that people, you know, welcome travelers in and... um and if they did, if they're in a remote place, they didn't have anywhere to stay or, or running water or anything. And then I thought about how blessed we are now that you and Mama Paula didn't have to hop on a camel to get to California. If you did, you you wouldn't be back yet. So now we can just take a plane or drive somewhere and and get there quick. Most inconvenient thing we have is you know having the plane delayed, which which really is not very fun. I know. But I just was thinking about how easy we have it compared to what they did back then. Mm. So I'll let you answer my questions, and thank you for taking my call. I was just really wanting to talk to somebody about this. <laughs> thank you, Cindy. You know, one of the things, and, and Paul and I talk about this all the time, especially when we're traveling, um, we'll start out in the morning in Texas, and in a couple of hours we'll be in California, and we just think, wow. I mean, it takes nothing to travel these days. And and yet we realize that the, the, the apostles uh, in, in their time, Book of Acts, Jesus during his time, uh, they had to walk or ride uh, donkeys um, um, wherever they went. Uh, they would travel, and, and travel was slow. I, I always think about the Apostle Paul's prayer list, uh, how impressive it is. And then I thought, well, you know, we had a lot of time to pray because he had to walk 
uh, every place he was going or going horseback. And you're right, we are so spoiled. Now, a couple of things. They were a really, really hardy people in the ancient world. They were much tougher. So the idea of, of uh, well, I have to have a tent or I have to have a bedding or I've got to have a change of clothes, none of those things would have, would have mattered them. Just traveling was such a way of life and every trip was a long trip. Uh, Cindy, those kind of things wouldn't have occurred to them. I also think, based on the sort of the spontaneity of this, and by the way, this is one of those miracles that um, um, is in, in all the gods. One of the, perhaps the signature miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our New Testament. So important that it's reported on by all four gospel writers. The only one. And um, they would have come because they were curious. They, 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 the word would have spread that God was speaking, that maybe this was the Messiah. Remember, before Jesus, God had been silent for 400 years, so Jews would travel from everywhere, and they would make a day's journey or a two-day's journey just to get there. And believe me, when they got to where Jesus was, there was no hurry for them to go. And that was sort of the setting here. Um, and Jesus, of course, knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, and yet he's uh, using this as a teaching experience for his disciples. Now, Mark's gospel doesn't say this, but the other gospels do. Uh, when they come up to Jesus, they're worried that they're getting tired. The day is getting late. The people are, are they need to have a place to eat and go home. Uh, so, so we'll send them home. They're tired. There's nothing to eat. And Jesus looks at his disciples, Cindy, and he says, you give them something to eat. Now, they didn't have anything either. They had seven loaves of bread and and uh, just a, a little bit of fish. Um, but uh, the, the, the whole idea here is that Jesus said, no, you do it. You've watched the things I've done. You've heard me teach. You've seen the power of God firsthand. Do you have enough faith to trust me that you're going to be able to give them something to eat. And I think there's a couple of really important lessons there, Cindy. The first is that whatever you have when God asks you to do something is enough. They didn't say, well, let's run to the store, let us do this or let us do that. You know, I, Paul and I tease uh, all the time because Paul's second home is H-E-B. We have an H-E-B right across the street from us and and uh, uh, Paul is there three, four times a week sometimes um, she's got a whole ministry going on over at HEB because people see her all the time. There's sometimes she'll forget something, go back twice the same day. And and uh, there's no HEB in the wilderness area where Jesus was teaching these people. So the basis for his heart was compassion for the people. He wanted them to see the power of God. He knew he was going to do that. The disciples are bystanders. Um, but again, they were a hardy group of people back then. And uh, it's certainly not like we are today. We complain if it gets too hot and we have to run the air conditioning or if, uh, you know, we're too far away from home. Um, so that that's the thing. The, the, the import here, Cindy, is the miracle itself. The miracle itself. Jesus gave, after blessing the little bit of food they had, he had the disciples line up and handed them each a crumb. By the way, the loaves of bread were little tiny, cheap, cheap loaves, the kind that you would give to animals. It would be almost like us giving dog biscuits. Jesus put a piece of one in each hand, a little piece of fish, and said, now you go feed them. I always think, Cindy, what it must have been like with their backs to this hungry crowd of people Jesus gives them these crumbs. He says, now turn around. I wonder who turned around first. I'm not turning around. They'll kill me. There's not enough food for people. But then because they took the step of faith. Again, I'm in Hebrews 11 this Friday night. Verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those disciples turned around, took that step, and then they got to watch the miracle of multiplication happen in their own hands. And all it required was Jesus to bless the food. Wouldn't you have liked to see the, see the smile 
on the father's face. So, Cindy, specifically answer your question, they probably had to walk a day or maybe two to get there. Again, not an unusual thing for them at all. But um, they were curious, is this God? I hear he's doing miracles. Will he do miracles for us? And so the crowd was enormous, so enormous that he fed them all. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to, oh, Eric hung up. Eric, where line is open, if you want to call back, sorry that you had to hold for so long. 340-9585, here is my next question from uh, Xavier. He says, why are evangelicals so politically focused? It seems the wrong focus to me. Uh, Xavier, you're preaching to the choir here. I, I, I could not agree with you more. Um, uh, there are lots of times when we're teaching the word that we ought to talk about things that are going on in the world that we live in. But when we get behind candidates, why don't you think about something, Xavier? If I were to pick a candidate, now I'm a pastor, uh, people trust me, people have known me and come to the church. Um, If I took the time that I ought to be teaching God's Word and talked about the political process or endorsed the political candidate, two things would happen. First, I wouldn't be giving the people what they really need. I might be giving them what they're interested in hearing, but I wouldn't be giving them what they need, the Word of God. But secondly, just by definition, in a country that's as polarized as ours is, I would be immediately isolating half of my audience. If I was on the bandwagon to re-elect Donald Trump, or if I was on the bandwagon to re-elect whoever the Democrat, Democrat nominee is going to be, uh, I, would, I would immediately disenfranchise half of the people in the church. And our focus has become so political, so right-wing, that we've come to the place where we actually have people who believe that you can't be a Christian unless you're a Republican. And that's just not true. That's not at all what's supposed to be. Let's go to line one, talk with Juan calling from San Antonio. Juan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, my question is uh, pretty basic about the school you talked about. Congratulations, first of all. That's an awesome testimony of how uh, how God has uh, opened that door for you, and you, you walked right through it and kept it going for so long. Thank you. Uh, when is the registration ending, or how can somebody do that? Uh, you can or, go to our website, uh, calvarysa.com. Uh, you can register kids now. Now, uh, obviously, one part of our problem is that because it's free and we've been around now, this is our 20th year, we have waiting lines of people. But, but you know, God, we've seen God move. You know, we live in a military community and people get transferred and kids move and, and openings occur. Uh, so depending on the grade and, and how many people there are in the class, we have a classroom size of 10 with a max of 11 kids. We, we think it's very important to give the kids... Uh, the attention they need, so we keep our class sizes small. We have a very, very limited space here at the church, so um, go to calvarysa.com and uh, go to the academy. There is a a, a drop-down thing. I'm not very technical, so I'm using these technical terms. There's a drop-down thing for the academy, and, and you can fill out an application for it. And I would suggest if you've got kids that you would, would like to get in the school, um, get them signed up as soon as you possibly can. We give preference to siblings, and um, uh, we let our, our own people uh, uh, register first. Uh, but, but by all means, not all the kids. It was never intended that all the kids would be our own kids here from Calvary Chapel. So we've got kids uh, who are from safe families and unsafe family. And we like that uh, very much. So that would how the, the, be your first step, Juan. If you'd rather do it in person, I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to do things in person, uh, then you can come up here during the week and talk to uh, one of the people on our staff, um, uh, my, our, my pastor who is the principal of the school, 
is here most days during the week, even in the summertime, and they'd be happy to answer any questions that you have and show you around. Okay? Yes, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure. God bless. You know, it's funny, I, I when, when I get a question like that, we have we have people that have just had babies in our church, and they're already trying to sign up their 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 uh, their babies or their grandbabies for the school. We say, no, 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 we're not going to do this five years out, but we do have a waiting list. We have 120, no, 135 students, and uh, we can't fit any more in than that. And um, that's one of the things that always breaks my heart. Um, Juan, I always tell people I, I, I hate waiting lists. I want everybody to come and hear about Jesus. Uh, the teachers are all from our church. We know them. Uh, they've been with us a long time. We have very little turnover uh, in our faculty, uh, meaning they've been with us for a long time. Uh, so it's really, really been a, a ministry that's been blessed by God. Sarah says, how can I memorize scripture like you and how unlike some others do? So you have answers when people ask questions. Sarah, uh, interesting question, because I'm not a really great memorizer. Um I memorize things simply by virtue of repetition. Uh, That's what's really important. I think uh, you put the word in and God will bring it out. So it's not a matter of memorizing it. And for a long, long time, um, um, memorizing where it was, this this book, this verse, this chapter, uh, was something that, that was really difficult for me. Uh, I sat down one day with the with the complete intent to memorize the book of Philippians, just to prove that I could do it. And I, I did most of it. Um, and, and what I found is God gave me the opportunity to use that a lot. Um, but but honestly, the truth is, it's just from all of these years in my Bible, uh, turning pages and repetition. I, I do think this, Sarah, and this is just my own opinion. I think that when you are in a, in a hardback Bible and you're turning physical pages, um, learning the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures is going to be easier to do than if you're looking at electronics. Now, whether it's a phone or a computer program, a Bible study program, uh, there's just something about turning pages in your Bible that, that God really blesses. And so it, it's... Uh, you know, I wouldn't really stress over this, but put the word in and God will bring it out. I also find, Sarah, that when I'm talking to people, especially unbelievers, they don't need to know that Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. So I just tell them what it says. I just say, you know, the Bible says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That means to give everything you are, everything you ever will be to the Lord. That's the way to be blessed. I'm going to talk about God forgiving sins. It's not important that they know where that is. Talking about Jesus dying on the cross. So when people have questions, it's just a matter of saying, well, the Bible says this, and and, uh, um, again with use, with repetition, uh, you'll be able to to eventually get a handle on where something is, or at least close to where something is. You can say, well, it's in Romans. I think in Romans 3 or 4. And you'll be able to, to, to go find it. That's the important thing. Be able to use it. Be able to explain it. And then you can go find it. And the more you do that, the, the greater the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be in your life as you are able to speak with people and, and uh, God gives you glory. You know, there's a story of the, the man that was born blind and the Pharisees want to know who, was, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And so Jesus healed him. And, and so they brought this man in to question him and every time they asked him a question every time the guy answered he got more information hey look all I know is once I was blind and now I see and that led him to the person of Jesus and and as he was obedient in sharing what God had done for him more information came to him I think that's the same principle Sarah um, with us it's not a matter of okay I'm going to memorize this book um, I think you just Discipline yourself and read. Just read. Interesting. Uh, we have a, a Bible class here at uh, at our academy. Uh, every kid goes to Bible class. 
There's a devotion, a morning chapel service. But we also have a Bible class for the, the junior high school and high schoolers. Uh, in the other classes, they teach the Bible, but, but you know, the, the classrooms stay together. Uh, in the Bible class, our, uh, one of our, the pastor that we just recently sent a year or so ago to uh, South Anchorage, Alaska, uh, he was the teacher, came with an idea. He said, you know, if you memorize a whole book, then you don't have to take the final. You memorize it, you get an A. I was amazed at how many people, how many of those kids memorized it. Uh, there was the book of Jonah when, one year they memorized uh, one of the other classes. He said, just memorize Romans chapter 8. And these guys would memorize Romans chapter 8. And, uh, you know, that'll be with them for the rest of their lives. Again, it's just use. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Marv. He says, I think every pastor should publicly disclose his income from the church. You'll probably disagree, but why the secrecy? Marv, let me ask you a question. Is your salary publicly disclosed? Does everybody at work know what you make? Do you tell anybody who wants to know? Why is the pastor any different? Now, probably your answer is because there are a lot of pastors that take advantage of the fact that people give. And you're right. And I apologize for that. It is an embarrassment to the Church of Jesus Christ. But to insist that every pastor forfeits his or her right to privacy. And when I said her right, I didn't mean Women could be pastors, but people on staff. Uh, and we don't. Some people are very private about money. And, um, um, you know, for us to, to, to post what they make, I think, is an imposition on their, uh, on, on their personal lives. Uh, Marv, I will say this. Um, every year in February, we have a business meeting where we invite the whole body, anybody who wants to come is welcome to come, and we go over the financials for the previous year. We just finished the year, February, we sit down and say, okay, this is what we brought in, this is how we spent it, and the salaries are disclosed, not individually. What we do is, is say, well, this is what we paid the staff pastors as a whole. I don't say pastor... Elaine made this, and Pastor Juan made this, and Pastor Brian made this. I don't say that at all. But but these are the amounts of money that we pay to our staff. And uh, our church is, is shocked by how little those amounts really are. But as I said earlier, we got a bunch going on that's for free. Um, but when I get to, 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 to me personally, um, at the end of that meeting, it's the last page of our financial statement, in the whole category, for senior pastor. And I tell everybody there exactly what I made the year before. Exactly what I made the year before. Um, tell them the benefits I get. The church uh, owns our home. Uh, so uh, Paul and I don't pay uh, the mortgage there. In fact, the, the church pays the mortgage until just recently. We just paid the house off. Um, but... Uh, um, so so my salary, and I it's just me forfeiting my right to the privacy, but I can't do that for others. So for you to think or, or even to insist that every pastor should publicly disclose his income from the church, unless you're willing to do that yourself, then I don't think it ought to be the case. I agree with you in, in principle. There are way too many pastors fleecing the flock of God. There's a lot of pastors who never did as well in the world as they're doing paying themselves in the church. And I think that's a tragedy. Uh, but they will answer to God, Marv, not to you. So I hope that makes sense. We have what? Just a little under three minutes. Let me get a quick question. That one will take too long. Margaret, I'll get your question tomorrow. Um, John says, uh, how can you know for sure that you have the Holy Spirit? Well, John, all you have to do is believe what the Word says. That's all you have to believe. Jesus said, if you believe, he will put his spirit in you. That spirit is a deposit, Ephesians 1 says. 
guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. Jesus says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Him. And if that's the case, um, um, you're lost. But here's how you know. If you repent of your sins, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you submit to Him as your Lord and Savior, then He responds by giving you the Holy Spirit. And because God can't lie, we take Him at His word. This is what faith is all about. John, one of the things I'm going to say in my study on Friday night is that faith is really the missing ingredient in the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in the West. And because it is, that explains the absence of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I think too many of us are trying to walk by sight instead of by faith. I think too many of us are trying to do what makes sense or we're trying to take the safe route or make safe choices. And God is a risk taker. And he wants his people to trust him to take risks. Uh, when Juan was so nice to say it's a, a great thing we're doing here, uh, it's a privilege to, to have a free school and priv- a privilege to do these other free things. And um, we've seen the hand of God move over and over and over for all of these years because we're walking by faith. And John, without walking by faith, you're never going to see the hand of God move in your life. So you know it because Jesus promised it. And Jesus is a promise keeper. Thanks for the question, John. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. In the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember, if you've got kids and you want to give them a great day, Calvary Kids Bible School tomorrow at 9 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.